What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Regina's only downtown brewery. This from the 42. Well, there you have it. Uh, we're heading into this edition of the Three Down Green Cast with myself, Joel Gaston, on John Fraser. On, of course, one of the most John Fraser-y endings to a CFL game ever. And, uh, John, I think it might be safe to say that this moment that we witnessed over the weekend and the Sergio Castillo rouge for the win may be the top moment for you in CFL history because it, it and listen to me because it might even top a blue bomber gray cup win just because of how specific <laughs> this situation has to be that it will literally never happen again no you're absolutely right Joel um two of my favorite things and actually I'll give credit to uh, my good friend Travis Kerr of the two and out CFL podcast who texted me the Vince McMahon meme of uh, first he's a little excited the Sergio signs with BC then he's a little bit more excited that, you know, Sergio's got a game-winning field goal attempt. And he's overcome with excitement when he wins it on a rouge. If there are two things I love more than the Bombers in this life, it is the rouge and Sergio. Now, now, as you and I were talking before we started recording, not only is that so memorable, Sergio with a game-winning rouge, but... Just such a series of, of, of follies, that's what you'd call it. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day in the comic books, they, they'd call it a series of boners, I guess. You know, back when that was an acceptable term for, for miscues. <laughs> to, to, you know, just go ahead and and lead up to that game-winning rouge by Sergio. Yeah, so I'm sure you, everyone here listening has seen the play by now. But if you haven't, it's just, it is just a wonderfully amazing series of awfulness that led to this happening. So, number one, yeah, okay, the Argos, you know, tied the game on just a clown show of tackling attempts by the BC Lions. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. And then the Lions march down the field, they get themselves into pretty decent field goal range, I believe is, you know, late 30s for the first kick for Sergio's first attempt. He makes it, except uh, there was procedure on the play. 
I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, okay, march him up five yards. Oh, but before that, on the first attempt, Corey Chamberlain did not have a returner in the end zone on the first one. I guess he felt uh, that was a little too automatic to even, you know, hope that maybe it would come up short. But but still, like, like <laughs> I know, like it's ridiculous. There's a chance for a rouge. <laughs> How do you not have, like, if At anything, the very least, have your not... puncher back there to kick it back out. Which would would, exactly, would have made this exactly. whole thing even better, frankly. It, th- that's what I thought was going to be coming when you texted me and tweeted me about a game-winning rouge potentially happening. I'm like, well, they're going to have their punter out there. Like, Liram Haralahu is going to be out there ready to go. Yeah, and so they didn't have anyone back there. So then they move it back five yards. Chris Rainey goes into the end zone. And then Sergio misses the kick. And then Chris Rainey catches it and steps out of bounds Doing so, which is one of the mm-hmm. most anticlimactic, weirdest endings you will ever see in the CFL. But to make it even better, is that's not a rouge in any other stadium because the end zones are three yards smaller in Toronto. So anywhere and else, I never thought of that. Fact. Anywhere you else, brought Rainey, up that fact tonight. Yes. Anywhere else, Rainey has a shot to get that out of the end zone. Now, in yeah. retrospect, yeah, he probably should have left it. But I mean, I guess well, if they had the rules properly changed, he could have left it, and it would have been a tie game still. But yeah, like it's just. Everything just managed to go against Toronto in that situation because, of course, it did. And uh, as the old saying goes, bad teams, <laughs> they, just, they find ways to lose football games. And that is one of those CFL moments that I don't think any of us are probably going to forget for, uh, for quite some time. I certainly won't. I mean, game-winning rouge by my boy Sergio, I will not forget. It, it, it almost remember. When the, o, when the Detroit Lions went 0-16 and their quarterback at the time famously ran, like took, this, took the shotgun snap and ran out of the back of the end zone and gave up, gave up a safety. And that was like, okay, that's their season in a nutshell. I feel like Chris Rainey stepping out of bounds to allow Sergio to win a game with a rouge was, in fact, their season in a nutshell. It might be, yeah. And... I know I had the Celine Dion music playing over top of it, but I think when I was recording the, the clip earlier of uh, the Rod Black call on it, the best part is because it was a live mic game. Yes. And you hear Mike Riley being golly <laughs> 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 over the play. I'm like, yes, that is amazing. Of course, a man who wears a hat like that says golly in a situation like that. <laughs> It, it just, it, it just, it's a win on so many levels, and it might be. And this, again, is showing how miserable life as a Bombers fan has been. Joel, that might be my favorite moment in CFL history through my entire life. And, and, and as I said, even if the Bombers do end up winning a Grey Cup at some point, which mathematically you think would have to happen, this is, there's just no way of topping this because it involves everything that involved, all the everything had to fall into place, and your favorite kicker had to have a job, which he almost didn't have at the start of the year. So really, exactly. <laughs> this is the perfect storm of everything, and that's why it's the most John Frasery moment in uh, CFL history. And I, I honestly don't know if I can think of another one that could ever top it, unless no. Sergio Castillo won the Great Cup for the Bombers on a rouge like that. Oh my maybe. God, I would just, I'd explode. You would just see an explosion, a flash of light coming from Saskatoon as I spontaneously combusted out of pure joy from Sergio winning the Great Cup for the Bombers somehow on a rouge. But we know Sergio's the guy. Sergio's the guy in BC. Now, that's, I think that might be the Bombers' biggest, like, like if Sergio kicks a game-winning field goal against the Bombers in the playoffs, like, I'll feel so so torn. My boy! <laughs> well, at this point, I don't know if it looks like the Lions may or may not make the playoffs in the West, so that's, uh, yeah, you might, you might be able to avoid that situation, though, 
if they crossed over and faced the Bombers in the Great Cup. Which means I know they'll lose. <laughs> the Bombers are definitely losing if they're in a Great Cup against my boy Sergio. Yeah, and I mean, it wouldn't be the first time the Bombers lost the Lions in a Great Cup in uh, recent memory, I guess. Uh, no, no, and uh, at least this time I won't be there. I'm making a pledge to not go because the last uh, the last two times I watched the Bombers in the Great Cup, they've lost, uh, including that one in 2011 in which I was so pissed off. I said, I was there with, with Trav, and I say to Trav, I'm like, that's it. We're getting out of town. Literally, we jumped in my uh, car at the time and drove as far as I could drive before finally <laughs> calling it a night someplace outside of Kamloops, I believe. I just was like, I need out of this city. I don't care. Let's go. Grab your shit. We're going. Pack up the hotel room. We're gone. That is a story I did not know, and uh, you are apparently not a good loser. Uh, no, in general, I'm a pretty good loser, but I also had to be at work at, at uh, my old job when I was working for Chevy. Um, I had basically given myself one day to return from Vancouver to Saskatoon, and I had been driving, so my rage also was like, all right, at least I can get like a few hours of this drive out of the way. It was still a long-ass day the next day to drive from outside of Kamloops back to Saskatoon in one go. Yeah, that sounds like a horrible idea. Oh, you know what? Not going to lie. <laughs> when we were super wasted at the Spirit of Edmonton, which was right beside our hotel, it was a great time. Well, the Bombers hadn't lost yet. Great time. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bombers lost? Terrible idea. Worst idea of my life. Yeah, well, uh, not a lot of joy around Saskatchewan this week after uh, the Riders took it on the chin. To the Calgary Stampeders, we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk generally about the performance and what you know, kind of what it says about this team and what it means at this point. Uh, we're going to talk about Cody Fajardo and you know, kind of where they should go from there with him. And we're going to talk about butts in the seats as well, as that's been a bit of a, a topic around uh, the CFL as a whole right now. But I think it's yeah, the spotlight's shining a little brighter now that uh, we've seen some numbers dipping in Saskatchewan as well. Uh, but before we get to all that, John, uh, what's in the glass this week? Well, for the first time, thanks to a care package from Mom and Dad back out of uh, northwestern Ontario, uh, going with an oatmeal stout, Skull Rock Stout by Sleeping Giant Brewing Company out of Thunder Bay, Ontario, back in my home uh, part of Canada. Uh, I have to say, not generally a big stout guy, but it came in a variety pack, and I am uh, enjoying this. It's not. It doesn't uh, taste like a meal like I find stouts often do, uh, and it's nice and carbonated and fizzy, which is also a drawback I find while drinking stouts, but no, I, I am quite enjoying it. It would definitely be better in the winter as opposed mm. to the summer, but my house has central air, and it's kind of chilly in here, so, you know, it, it, it kind of works. Probably uh, one of the better things to come from uh, Thunder Bay. Um, for uh, me <laughs> yeah, not a lot of good out of there, yes, man. Not a lot of good from Thunder Bay. Uh, for me, I tweeted about this uh, last night, uh, so I guess a little bit of foreshadowing on my part. I am uh, drinking one of my original favorite craft beers, the Zilla IPA from Rebellion. Uh, so good. Come over a few different names. It's the one with a cool design with Godzilla climbing the Grand Elevator. So you can't miss it. It is one of uh, Rebellion's, kind of one of the first beers they made. And it was kind of the one that, that I remember kind of putting me over the top and saying, yeah, I'm not drinking bad beer anymore. There's just no point. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. It was really, and, and I think you had a hand in that. But also, uh, I took Max to the liquor store once, my son. Uh, and he, I'm like, what should I get? He's like, the one with the monster on it. I'm like, all right, same thing. Fell in love. One of my favorites. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I don't drink it a lot anymore because uh, I'm always uh, trying it in different things. But every once in a while, it's uh, nice to go back to an old standby like that where you just you just know when you open the can it's going to be good. As fun as it is to try new beers and you always get excited when you're doing that, um, there is still something nice about cracking by open the old standby when you just you just know the liquid inside is just going to be pure gold. No, absolutely. What wasn't pure gold uh, this week, definitely the uh, the play of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, they lost 37-10 to the Stampeders, and that score probably flattered them a little bit thanks to a big special teams play that set up a touchdown in the second half. And it basically nothing went right for them on that. The special teams played all right. I mean, you can talk about that. The special teams played all right. AC Leonard played pretty well. Derek Moncrief played pretty well. But uh, beyond that, there isn't really much positive to say about that football game in general other than the fact that it's over. And it's been over for a few days yeah. now, and uh, the Riders are on a bye week, and they're you know, the coaching staff gets to stick around and uh, try and figure out where to go from here. And I think the, the important thing to take away from this game was the fact that it was just one game. And I know it's weird for me to sit here and maybe be the, you know, the guy who's looking on the positive side of things, but I wrote a piece to, today for three down nation. It may or not be up by the time you listen to this podcast. I don't really know when dunk plans on uh, posting it. He doesn't really uh, inform me on those things. Sometimes it's a surprise Twitter notification. Hooray! Your thing is posted. Um, but I just I feel like, you know, to quote Dennis Green, the Riders are kind of who we thought they were. Um, they're not elite, and nope. they're not awful. So when you're not, you know, elite or awful, you kind of bounce back and forth between the two at times. And, you know, we've seen the Riders be pretty good at times this year. We've seen them be pretty okay at times, and we've seen them now be pretty bad at times. So really, they kind of are what we thought they were. And they're still, as a whole, I think figuring out what they are as a team and who they are as a team because it's easy to forget and I was listening to uh, the Green Zone post-game show on the drive home from the stadium for a little bit I heard a lot of talk from the callers about Craig Dickinson and whether he's no, in over his head and all that I'm like hey whoa 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 it's been four games he's a first-time head coach and let's all remember that this is a new regime in charge and I know it's easy to forget that because they were here in previous roles but I think there are people out there who assume in the world of sports that when an assistant takes over for the last guy in charge, they're kind of just going to keep doing things the same way. That's not really how it works. No. These guys all have their own ideas on how they want to do things. Craig Dickinson has been around a lot of head coaches in this league. I'm sure he's picked up different things from different guys throughout the way, and he's going to try to do things his way a little bit differently. We've seen that in a lot of ways, especially in terms of practice and training camp and all that. And Jeremy O'Day is going to have a different idea of how to build a roster than Chris Jones did. I think that's especially one people can understand, as uh, O'Day's kind of more of a CFL lifer in that regard, at least in terms of uh, football ops rather than coaching. And so it's going to take time for this sort of their new program to develop and work. And they were even, and we talked about this a lot off the t when the Chris Jones left, that they were put behind the eight ball because normally when, say, if it happened earlier, Dickinson and O'Day could have taken over at a normal time like December and they could have had yeah. that program fully implemented. This year is probably a bit of a mixture of kind of what they were planning with Chris Jones and then kind of what they want to do. And then next year is probably the full springboard when they actually have a full off season to plan what they want to do. None of this is an excuse for how poorly they play. That doesn't explain missed tackles and the like. But big picture, this is kind of where they're at. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right, Joel. And I think that is the thing that, that, that it fascinated me that most of the anger in Saskatchewan seemed to be based on the coaching staff. And, and, and you made a great point in that 
This isn't a coaching staff that had a regular offseason to prepare. This was almost Chris Jones leaving out of the blue, late into prep. You know, as you said, do you install what you what you want to do? Do you keep, you know, what Chris Jones has been planning to do? And do you just roll with it from there? So it, it, it really is a bit of a gong show for the training staff, uh, for the for the coaches, uh, for everybody really involved, right? So you are going to see games like this. But I, I, I think some kudos also, and I think maybe, uh, I, I think collectively heading into this game, Saskatchewan felt less intimidated by Calgary than they ever have. Calgary's always Mm -hmm. been kind of a get-up-for-it game, you know, test yourself against the best. And I think Saskatchewan, the the players and everybody, may have fallen into the narrative that, well, these guys are hurt. Bo Levi's not there. Backup quarterback's there. It's backup upon backups. And, hey, they're playing at home. And, 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 you know, you actually kind of got the feeling that, that, and I don't know what's going through the players' heads, and I'm not one to speak for that, but it just seemed to me like, there was a lot less fear about Calgary than there normally is. And then Calgary came out and proved. And, and, and what a testament to what Calgary continues to do. That they can be without so many key players, without the starting quarterback, and still just shit-kick another good team in the West Division. Like, yeah. that was a shit-kicking. Like, yeah. that was oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, and what they did... With with the personnel and the preparation and everything that they had, it was just like it, it was impressive. It sucks for Saskatchewan. It sucks for people that listen to this podcast. It sucks for people that that cheer for the Riders. But you have to look at that team and go, wow. At some point, and to me, that was a wow game out of Calgary. Again, Saskatchewan was was real bad, real stinky that game. But for Calgary to be able to take advantage of that and and not let up, it was yeah, it was. It was not a good game. I, I, no. I think our, our, our friend of the show, Derek Taylor, wanted five words to describe uh, now that he does that, that post-game thing on Twitter. He does it on the sports cage. Uh, my uh, five-game summation uh, involved the words dumpster fire. So that's kind of what I thought about that. Yeah, as uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin used to say, I believe they opened a can of whoop-ass on the Riders on uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday sure night. And, and, and these aren't excuses either. Like, that wasn't... And I think, you know, obviously... And, this we'll get into the attendance side of this a little bit too in a bit because it felt like and I was talking because Ryan Ballantyne of Three Down Nation was also there the Horseman Podcast and of course Danny Austin from Post Media was there and I was talking with Ryan and I was like does this feel like the least hyped Rider Stamps game you can remember in recent memory like yeah. it really felt like there was nothing to it and maybe that that played out in the stands a little bit and maybe it played out on the field a bit too who knows but I think also you know especially when you talked about the defense and the missed tackles that sometimes lends itself to tiredness. And they did have two less days to prepare than Calgary. They had the short turnaround. They had the Saturday to the Monday to Saturday kind of thing. And yeah. So they had the short week and then a bye week after it. So maybe mentally they just weren't quite white. They just weren't right there. And that's that is an indictment on the coaching staff overall. It's something that a new coaching staff will hopefully learn from and build upon if that situation were to arise again. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's such a choppy start to this rider season. Mm-hmm. Like, between training camp, and then there was a bye week, now there's another bye week, and, and it just it just seems it seems choppy. It's start and go and start and go, and, and how are you going to get any kind of, of flow or anything like that going for these guys? And, and, and you said it, Joel. I, I think these guys 
you know, are going to need some time to break down the film and decide what, what they're going to do heading down the rest of the season. But maybe now that they're into the long stretch of the year, it gives them a chance to, you know, install some things and, and, and go from there. And to me, I, I think one, one thing they should keep going with is my boy, Cody Fajardo. Doesn't sound quite as good as Sergio, but, you know, it works, right? The, the last name works, yes. Just leave the first name out of it. We've been over this. Exactly. But unless I save the first name exceptionally Canadian. Cody Fajardo. Still no? Eh, I mean, it's different. Maybe it'll grow on me. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, I think we should have a whole season of growing on you because yeah. I, I think Fajardo should be the guy. I agree. And 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 I think yeah, the the bump in the road is going to come at some point. I don't think we expected it to be eighty nine yards and three quarters of football bad, but I mean realistically, he is a quarterback making his first career starts. At some point, it was going to happen, and no, now we learn a lot about Cody Fajardo because there's going to be film on him, and there's going to be film on how to beat him and do this and that. So good quarterback, you know, any quarterback can have a few good games, even Nick Ar- Arbuckle. So we'll see what happens with him going forward. The good, the really good quarterbacks take those bumps in the road and they see how defenses are adjusting to them and adjust to those adjustments. And the game just kind of goes, the game of back and forth just continues on for the rest of your career from on then. So the next yeah. few games is how we, is really what we will learn about Cody Fajardo and to whether he's actually a legitimate quarterback in this league or not, starting quarterback in this league. Because if he can learn from this, if he can build off this, if he can see what Calgary did to him and adjust to it, and, you know, okay, yeah, he doesn't have to put up 400 yards a game, but comes out next game, puts up a solid 250 with a touchdown, and they win, then all's well in the world again. There's nothing wrong with that, right? No, and and you're absolutely right. However, I think if he doesn't, and I'm a big fan of, of not letting the guys get Corey Chamberlain to a degree. You know, mm-hmm. let these guys go out there and know they can make a mistake without getting pulled. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think that ruined, uh, especially some of the running backs during the Chamberlain era, and I, I think it really ruined Brandon Bridges' career to a degree. Um, but uh, I think for sure you got to give Fajardo next game. Even if he struggles, I think you give him one more. Oh, no, I, I don't disagree. Like, I, you give him a few games. I mean, unless it's like, obviously, like, he's clearly broken. He's thrown for 20 yards and three quarters, then maybe you question it a little bit, but... It, it, exactly, but I mean the whole team was so bad yeah. that Fajardo being pulled uh, last week almost seemed like a mercy pull. That's how it felt to me at first. I was kind of like, oh, "Let him play through it, Craig." But then I kind of thought about it. I'm like, "He had the pick earlier in the game. Nothing is going their way tonight. There's no point risking it. Just get him out of there." Yeah, exactly. And but I do think that this needs to this team. I don't think we can, we, I don't think the coaching staff, I don't think anybody can start just randomly bouncing between him and Isaac Harker and just getting no. a situation in which nobody is really truly ready to go. I think that would be a dire mistake that's been proven time and time again that, you know what? He's going to be your guy. He's going to be your guy for a little bit. you got to live and die by that. And if after that little bit he proves he's not the guy, well, let's see what Isaac Harker's got. Because, again, who knows when Zach Caleros is coming back. I mean, I think you and I have talked about this on this pod before, that the quieter a guy's injury updates get, the more likely he's gone a very long time. 
Yeah, and uh, there's still a lot of questions about Zach Kalaros. I know there had been some rumblings that he could possibly be back after the bye week, but I, I really don't think in any world, whether he's recovering well or not, is there a point in taking him off the six-game injury list early at this point? I think at the very yeah. least he needs to ride that out, and then they'll make a decision from there. But it's Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post and the Saskatoon Star Phoenix who's been making the really good point recently, and I believe he wrote a column on this that came out because I've heard about him talking about it on their podcast a few times, how this decision, okay, we know Zach Kolaris is going to probably want to come back and play. So the decision then turns on to the football operations side. So if you're Craig Dickinson and you're Jeremy O'Day, if you do allow Zach Kolaris to come back and, heaven forbid, something bad happens to him, do you mm-hmm. want that on your conscience for the rest of your career, knowing that you could have prevented a guy from suffering down the line? <laughs> well, and, and not one bit. And I think a big part of that, and and I, I, this is why I like, and I'm not saying that every CFL team should have an ex-player be in charge. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But I, I'm saying that I, that you need ex-players in those positions that can sit down with a guy like, for all we know, Jeremy O'Day finished his career, a long career, relatively healthy. But I'm sure... There's body parts on Jeremy O'Day that don't feel right on a given day. No. I'm sure there's days that Jeremy O'Day wakes up and it hurts to get up, right? Mm-hmm. And and the nice thing is with having a career a career CFL or NFL or whatever, when you've got a career guy like that, he can sit down with a guy like Caleros and, and that decision will weigh on him. He'll know if he lets him come off the six game injured list what it could do to his health long term. And and I think that's a huge benefit. Of having Jeremy O'Day, I, I, I feel like that this move to the six-game injured list has his fingerprints written all over it mm-hmm. in a very good way. And and I'm hoping that they do what is best for the long-term health of Zach Caleros. Because as you and I have discussed in this pod, and I know I've brought it up on 3Down Nation before. I was having, uh, and it actually, it weirdly came up today at work. I was speaking to a, uh, a customer that had recently had a concussion. And she was lamenting that... Her brain didn't feel the same, and she couldn't remember words. And there was times that she was she like she would be lost for words. And I had to look at her and say, "It gets better. It, you'll never be the same, but it gets better." And again, I've only had a handful of concussions in my life, but I couldn't imagine like somebody has to be saying, "Zach, mm-hmm. listen, take your dog, go home, man. We know you want to play, but at some point, gotta hang him up, big guy." And and I think that that might be the point that. That he's at, which is why he's on the six-game injured list with no real firm answer why. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also, you know, paranoid football ops reasons for that as well. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As, as, as tends to happen, but I think we're I think there's a general consensus going with that. And I think even just from a, you know, there's obviously the human component of it, but there's a football component to it. And Rob's also brought up the point of, okay, and I believe this as well, this season is basically 2012 again where you're building towards next season where you're yeah. hosting the Grey Cup, and they don't need to go all in like they did in 2013. But when you're hosting the Grey Cup, generally you want to be good. As we, as we saw in Edmonton last year, when your team sucks and you host the Grey Cup, it really kind of kills the buzz a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. this year is about making sure that they're good next year. That doesn't mean they can't be good this year. Like that, that doesn't, that isn't, There's no point in tanking in the CFL. It gets you nowhere with a crapshoot of a draft. So Yeah. There's no point in tanking, so I'm not suggesting that. They can still be good this year, but every move they make and every decision they make really should be made with next season in mind. And I I've, written, I've written that before on 3 Down Nation. I believe we talked about that on this podcast. Yes. So from a purely football perspective, if your goal is to 
at least host a playoff game next year, preferably the West Final and possibly, and then appear in the Grey Cup at home. Which quarterback currently on the roster do you think is going to give you the best chance to do that? I don't think you can say right now, even if healthy, the answer is Zach Caleros. No, you're you're absolutely right. I don't I I don't think Zach Caleros would be the guy for next year. I I mean it is, and and it's funny, you know, you mentioned 2012. Unless you're able to go out and and get a guy that falls to you in free agency, I I, I think this is going to have to be either Harker or Fajardo's team to be of relevance heading into next year, which you and I both agree is the year. This is a this is a quasi-development year. Again, not a tank year. It's a year you want to, to build on. but Especially I with a new it, regime as well. Especially yeah. a new regime that was brought in midstream. I think it just kind of compounds kind of where they're at. And it gave and given approximately 18 seconds to, you know, to prepare for the season. So, um yeah, I, I, I think this is, you're right. It's about needs identification this year. It's about figuring out, okay, is Fajardo our guy? Is Harker our guy? And, and rolling with it from there. And yeah, I, I, I cannot see this team winning a Grey Cup with Zach Caleros even when healthy. Yeah, well, I think we've all seen Cody's arm is better than Zach Caleros's at this point. So just oh, on absolutely. a few little things, you're like, okay, as long as he develops into a quarterback that won't lose them games and they can get the defense going again, they don't really need Zach Claros, and he's not really the guy that's probably going to lead them to the promised land next year, or at least compete to be in the promised land next year. So is yeah. there really any point in doing that, rather than, and I know, you know, after a bad game or two, everyone, you know, be, turns to their favorite player in Saskatchewan, the backup quarterback, but if you're developing a guy, and this is how you develop a guy, you got to let them play it through it. Very few guys come into the league and are Mike Riley and Bo, Levi, Bo Levi Mitchell and just light it up. It takes time. Yeah, yeah. And it really does. And it's funny you mentioned the defense figuring out. I mean, I, I, the only other thing I saw, again, there was a weird criticism of, uh, of the coaching. There seemed to be, uh, and you and I were talking about this before we start, hit record, was Solomon Elamimian. Yeah. Um, he is obviously going to be way better than that because I think, what, he's had a collective three days of practice and one day of training camp? Essentially, that's been his season to date, yeah. Yeah, he looked a little rough against Calgary. Yeah, he as did. many, many people did. But, I mean... For anybody expecting him to come out after, you know, many, many months off and dominate like he has for so many years in the CFL, I think, you know, maybe they were a little crazy. But uh, that is one guy I definitely see getting better. It just it, it was such a, it was just such a shit show of a game. It was just bad. Yeah, it's more or less one of those games where you figuratively burn the tape and move on. I think that's kind of you. Obviously, they don't actually do that. You watch the tape, you learn from it, blah 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 blah. But yeah, it's just one of those games. You throw the memories, the mental aspect of it away, and you say, you know what? Over the course of an 18-game season, it happens. Even last year, but you know, you could argue last year the Riders put the boots to Calgary one game. So I mean, even the best teams in the league, it happens every once in a while. If it it's, starts it, to become a trend, true. that's when you have an issue. Yeah, if you if you if you're not showing up against the, the Toronto Argonauts of the world. Uh, then you've got an issue. Or, strangely enough, the BC Lions, maybe, of the world, because, again, back to the Sergio game, uh, just really briefly, we know the Toronto Argonauts are bad. Mm -hmm. Did they play up to BC? Did BC play down to them? Or is BC just not that good either? I don't think BC's that good yet. I think they can get there. Um, I think I'm one of, like, two people on the planet who's picked them to beat Edmonton this week for some reason. Uh, you and Jamie and I, former co-workers. Yeah, it seems like in, it. Clearly, No, I haven't seen all the picks on the draft in 3-Down Nation just yet, but when I put in my picks, I was the only person on 3-Down to pick the Lions. But uh, Dunk and someone else hadn't put their picks in for that game yet, so... 
True. And I mean, if Dunk drops the Dunk Bomb of BC winning, then I feel like that that, that gives validity to to your pick. Dunk's actually in last place in Pick'em right now in on 3-down. That's on that's on purpose. He is, he is <laughs> the deep-voiced, great-haired Canadian football guru. He's just sandbagging it for y'all. Yeah, we're all, we're all looking pretty foolish right now uh, to our new boy Joey out of Montreal, who's just kind of mopping the floor with all of us in uh, Pick'em right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is why I don't get the invite. You know what? I'd probably, even decline. I'd probably just lose it. Oh, uh, what? I didn't get that email. Uh, sent it to all three of her emails, John. Uh, no, they, I don't use those three anymore. No, no, no. We called the dealership to verify it. Nope, 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 not me. I would make an ass of myself in Pick'em. I barely hold my own in CFL Fantasy. Never mind Pick'em. You want to make some pig now? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, shit, shit, Joel. I got to go all of a sudden. Got to put kids to bed. So before we get to all that, speaking of having to go somewhere and uh, putting kids to bed, it seemed uh, an increasing number of people might have to put some kids to bed uh, for rider games. And across the league right now, as uh, attendance is becoming a bit of a hot-button issue in this league, especially in one where as much as TSN has paid pretty good money for the last while and really helps teams out in sort of salary cap and all that, it's still very gate-driven in terms of getting you over the top in terms of turning a profit. And while I would preface this by saying numbers certainly aren't panic level in Saskatchewan yet, it is interesting that that game failed to draw 30,000 fans. And it was Jamie Nye of CJME, CKOM, who did the digging and saw it was the first game between the Riders and the Stamps since 2007 that wasn't sold out because apparently there were some games with pretty low capacity or didn't draw at least 33,000 people. Yeah, which again, really, again, this seemed like a very underhyped game in Saskatchewan. Um, I think, I think the riders are, and I get it, it's new mosaic, I get it, there's stadium surcharges, I get it, I get it, I get it, and, and we've alluded to this before, but I can afford a fancy ticket to sit in which I my game experience is enriched, right? Mm-hmm. I have I have the dough to go and sit in a spot in you know a, a and again I don't go regularly I don't have season tickets I I can't afford season tickets but once a year I can go with my family take them down there enjoy a couple craft beers you know and sit in some really good seats it, it, and to me when you sit in really good seats your game experience is enhanced compared to TV now to me when you're watching on TV. It's an entirely different thing. If, if I'm up in the nosebleeds, you're damn right it's way better to watch it on TSN. Like, there's no argument. Like, you, you can't make that argument that... that what's that, Max? You want to make a guest appearance on the podcast? Here, come here. Come here, bud. Okay. Oh, that's Gracie. That's your baby, Gracie? That's a pretty baby, buddy. Okay, daddy's podcasting. I'm almost done, okay? Okay, love you, bud. Okay. Anyways, if I'm sitting up in the nose nosebleeds and I'm paying a lot for those nosebleed seats, I'm still better off to me to sit with my buddies in somebody's basement on somebody's back deck and watch the game. Now, if those nosebleeds were super affordable, like like what they're doing in Edmonton, which I think is a fantastic idea to get people in the doors, mm-hmm. I think then you go. You go for the atmosphere. You go to experience it. But right now... It seems like even going to a nosebleed seat that you're detracting from your game experience from what you could be watching on TSN, that seems to me like 
the writer, it, it's still damn near impossible to find a good section of lower bowl seats, and 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 yep. that hasn't gone away. But you can walk in and get a nosebleed ticket because, again, I think it's it's just too damn expensive. And I get it, Mosaic doesn't have the capacity that Commonwealth does, but seventeen and under getting in free all summer, twenty two dollars general admission tickets. Like, holy crap, that is how you get people in the stadium. Yeah, and Edmonton has had significantly worse attendance problems. They've been, I believe, sub-26 in both of their games, which is rare for a team that generally averages around 30 like the Riders do. So yeah. that's that's a far more alarming number than we're seeing here in Saskatchewan, but it is still raised some eyebrows. And you see a sub-30,000 for a game against Calgary when they did 30 the week before against Toronto. Now, the, the 8 p.m. start probably has a little bit to do with that. That's late for oh, some absolutely. people. I get that. And, you know, anyone from out of town, I will never begrudge them for not coming to a game. But there are still enough people within, say, a one-hour radius of Regina that could fill this place if there was easier access to entry. And I think, and this isn't just, I'm not not going to sit here and crap on the riders for this because this is an issue across the CFL right now where affordability in a lot of places is an issue. And when you can stay at home and watch on TV, it's better. I think... You know, it's cheaper, especially when, you know, we've talked, some other people have talked about this. You're paying enough for cable, too. You might as well use it. Yeah. And then, so there's, and the other issue that I've kind of having is the product has kind of felt, you know, kind of stuck in neutral for a while now. There hasn't really been, and I don't know, there just hasn't been enough people talking about this for some reason. I don't really know if I feel like me and you and I think Dan Plaster and a few other people like the only ones who feel this way, where it's like the league I've kind of felt has just been stuck in neutral. There hasn't really been anything to get overly excited about to really want to bring me to the stadium. Now I go to the stadium because I work in the press box and I get to go for free, but I probably wouldn't pay money to watch a CFL game right now just because I feel the the product's fine. It's not amazing. It's not terrible. Yeah. It's just, okay. Yeah, it's there. It's good. I'll watch games on TV, but overall the product just feels kind of just there. I don't know. There isn't the on-field product. Now the writers are trying off-field stuff and all that. It's fine. It's working well, I think, but on the field, and this is across the league, it just kind of feels meh. It's, it's there, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're right, and and it seems more and more like, and it's almost the league's almost shot itself in the foot a little bit. The way that it doesn't really a the season goes on that that that, that everything before Labor Day becomes almost so irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? Um, I get it. Wins are wins any time of the season. But on the same note, we're a nine-team league in which six teams make the playoffs. It's hard to catch me on the gravity of the games meaning something. It's almost like baseball in a way right now. Not to the extreme that you have, you know, 81 home games, but it's almost to the extreme where it's like, okay, these games, at the end of the day, they mean something. But do they mean everything? Let's face it. Let's let's all face it. BC, the Riders, whomever, can start one and five, one and six, still make playoffs, still win the Grey Cup. You've had teams in the CFL win Grey Cups with a record under five hundred. That's what you're going to get when six of the nine teams make the postseason. It's hard to catch me in the relevancy of a Calgary Rider game when you know this game might not mean a whole damn lot. In the grand scheme of 18 games. Well, no, I, I don't disagree, but the counterpoint to that is, at the same time, on the flip side, the most important games of the year, when we're getting into late October and sometimes early November, 
also don't draw well because the weather's bad. So right. so the, the idea of these games mattering more isn't drawing people out to the stadium either. So is that really a thing? I don't know. I don't really think that's really ultimately the goal because we've seen a lot of great crowds in the summer in the past. I just think there's things are just... It's just weird right now. I, I and this isn't this isn't even just a CFL problem. This is a like pro sports problem outside oh, yes. of a few markets and a few sports. Like this is not unique to the CFL by any stretch of the imagination. Just compared to some of the other leagues out there, the CFL needs to work really hard to figure it out because a bulk of the revenue still comes from the gate. Yeah, and and and, and you're absolutely right. They're not like the NFL. They're not like MLB. They're not like the NHL in which you have so many different revenue streams. You're right. You need that gate revenue, and you know what? The CFL is small enough; it can it can try some innovative things that the other leagues might not be able to. But you're absolutely right. Like like the the advent of of beer fridges and high definition TV and dollars being tighter for everybody has made pro sports a tough a tougher gig than it ever has been. And and I think we're just seeing the natural the natural byproduct of that. You know? Yeah, all all we can really say is thank goodness they didn't build the stadium to forty thousand like some people wanted. Oh, absolutely. I, I, that's why, and see, again, 33, to me, I always thought was perfect. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, is there a little bit of panic right now at 26? Yeah, a little bit. Ask anybody. You were at you were at that game. I bet you it was still loud and boisterous and felt like you were at a game with 26,000 people in there, right? I don't know. The, the, the press box is pretty soundproof at the time, so it's really hard to get you know that great of a read on it. I've heard mixed reviews from the crowd. As yeah. from people inside as to how loud it was, but yeah, it's not it's not quiet by any stretch of the imagination, and certainly yeah, it, that game yeah. being uh, you know a pile of dog shit didn't help either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's really nothing to cheer for in that game, but but again, I, I think New Mosaic's perfect because even at 26, you get excited, you know, you're still gonna it's still gonna feel full again. Where you're starting to see the like again, check t- Ticketmaster, the mm-hmm. nosebleeds where things are hurting. Yeah. And I think the riders and all pro sports organizations need to start figuring something out to make the dollar go further. And that's why a big kudos uh, to Edmonton. And I'm interested to see. And, and the Saskatchewan Rush were doing that here in Saskatoon. And I believe they're still doing it where you could get cheap general admission tickets for, again, not the greatest seats in the building, but not terrible either. Yeah. Um, for like 20 bucks at the co-op gas station. Well, right. and and the thing and the thing you can do it, and the thing you can do with those seats, especially at Mosaic, not so much at uh, Sastal Center, but you can yeah. you can sell those tickets. You can buy, you can get someone. You say, hey, you buy a single ticket in this upper deck in this section for twenty bucks, and you you know a few of your buddies do that in different spots, and you all just stand on the concourse and watch anyway. You don't have to yeah, go exactly, sit up there, right? <laughs> right? So then that that right. those open spaces allow you to do stuff like that to sell those spots. So the seats are sold, the people are in the building, they're just not actually sitting in their seat. Yeah, it, it, exactly. A general admission ticket would work so well for the riders. Cause, and, I mean, it's the same like when you watch games in Winnipeg. Every game in Winnipeg, even the sold-out ones look half open because everybody's hanging out of the rum hut, getting just twisted up while watching the game from the concourse. Because that is one thing that, that the, both new stadiums have done very well. You can see the game from damn near everywhere. Yeah, and the other aspect of it, we're talking about pricing of tickets the riders are trying, you know, the premium pricing model, which I know a lot yep. of teams do, but that generally works better when you have a lot of games to sell. Yes. And I don't think an 8 o'clock start in your third home game of the year, even if it's against Calgary, I'm sorry, it's not a premium game. As far as I'm, I'm with, concerned, yeah. I don't think the CFL should do any premium pricing, but if you had to, 
the, there's only one game a year in this city, in this province, that should be a premium game. And we know that's the Labor Day game. 100%. Other teams 100%. like Edmonton and Calgary and those places, they do premium games when the riders come to town because they know there's busloads of rider fans coming to the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I'm absolutely with you. You're right. The premium model only works for Labor Day because I don't think there's a person in this province that doesn't concede they're going to pay more for a Labor Day ticket and they're okay with it. But you're right. And you know Bomber fans are coming too. As, uh, exactly. It was, it was uh, Ryan Ballantyne told me there was originally a plan to bring a busload of Stamps fans to the game and they had to cancel it due to lack of interest. Interesting. Yeah, so, cause, and I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not crapping on Stamps fans because of this. I think... If you're yeah. if you're if you're you're planning a fan trip as a Stampeder fan, do you want to go to Regina or would you rather go to like Vancouver or Montreal or Toronto? Probably. Why go to Regina? Really, frankly, right? Yeah, I mean, fair, fair is fair. I mean, I also wouldn't want to go to Edmonton either because I mean, I'd no. rather go to Regina than Edmonton because Edmonton to me is the biggest dumpster fire of a city in Western Canada in oh. terms of CFL markets, and I'm a guy that's a Winnipeg fan. Wow, that's that's. That's quite the statement that I did not see coming from you. Is, is that maybe my worst? This could prove to be my worst hot take ever. Well, there's uh, always a chance that you can outdo yourself next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.